Just a minute. I'm coming. FBI, open up! Just a minute. Hello, everybody. This is Legal Man. Welcome to the show. It's going to be a good episode. We continue Spooner, Letter to Grover Cleveland. This is a really important section. We don't get through it all, but it's about foreign imposts and export taxes and things like that, how they work and why there's such an abomination and abuse of individual freedom and just a complete robbery by government on behalf of government and the special interests that control government. And for people who don't know me, I'm a lawyer. I've practiced for more than 30 years. I'm America's most trusted and beloved lawyer because I tell them the truth about the legal system. And the truth is I was a constitutional conservative for years and years and years. And then about 25 years ago, I got the Internet. And in fairly short order, I figured out it was just a complete scam. All that constitutional conservative, the Constitution is the greatest document ever. Founding fathers and the liberty, it stands for this. And take back the country. I used to believe all that stupid shit. I figured out it was a scam. And when I figured that out, I became self-certified as a master practitioner. And in fact, I've given myself a Lifetime Achievement Award for all the great work I've done on this podcast. And I love having fake awards because I really think they highlight how fake the credentials are out in the world that people rely on. So, (laughs) all right, let's go ahead and get this show going. So I want to make a show continuing Spooner's great essay, A Letter to Grover Cleveland. It was written right before he died. He was almost 80 when he wrote it. And Spooner, he's my spirit animal. I love Spooner. I love what he writes. I love the fact that even at 80, he was still so pissed about how damn scammy the government was and how much they were taking advantage of people that he spent all his time writing this essay, basically just responding to this preposterous inauguration address that Grover Cleveland gave. I'm sure he read it in the newspaper or something like that and just thought, what a lion jackass this guy is. And he sat down, he just fillets him. And it's got all sorts of great topics in it. And this one is still talking about sort of banking and contracting, the fact that there's a money system is a scam. And specifically this section, which is section 15, it goes over the right to contract between people. And of course, he always discusses natural law, which is why it's so good. And In this one, he's talking about basically imports and export taxes and the way they affect things. And his explanations, I think, very, very clear. I don't know if it will be to other people, but it's certainly nothing like the previous section I did where I had to really think about it beforehand to how I could ever even do it because people's basic knowledge is so slim. Not that that's an insult to people listening. It's really just an indictment of the way the system is, unless you've gone out and really kind of studied these kinds of economic concepts and things like that. They're just totally foreign to people. And they want them to be foreign to people and to be totally confused blob in people's heads, which the people who think they understand it, uh, for the most part, that's what they understand is confused load of shit that doesn't actually make any sense. And so it's a great explanation. It's a great section. I'm going to try to get through the whole thing today. I don't know if I will because it's pretty long and it's really good. And the next section includes the same kind of stuff anyway. So we'll get as far as we can. I think it's extremely timely because of all the stuff going on with our own system of so-called trade and all these ways we use 
sanctions against uh, other countries and things like that. It's all mixed up and confused with the fact that the world basically runs on the dollar. And people don't understand the effect that's going to have when that changes. And it will change, and it's changing very rapidly now. It's like the quickening in the movie when there can only be one, and Sean Connery is the old guy, and once the quickening begins, you can't stop it. And it appears to me that, you know, you've got this agreement now between China and Russia. They're going to start doing all sorts of transactions in their own currencies You got Brazil just announcing it's starting all over. And I still don't understand Putin's role because he does a lot of stuff I really, really like a lot, but I don't trust him. I know he's got all sorts of other connections and yet he does all these things. And so it's very difficult to ever figure out exactly what's going on. I can know this, that if he succeeds in doing what he says he wants to do, we're screwed. And if he doesn't succeed, then we succeed and therefore we're screwed because the plan that our government has is definitely to screw us. And so unless people wake up to that fact, we had no chance. You know, when you deal in these foreign currencies and these exchanges with these countries and everything is a fake currency, the people who have the counterfeiting operation, which is the United States that everybody has to use, they just benefit incredibly from that scam. And that's how we've been running since World War II. People don't understand it. And ever since the early 70s, since it's been absolutely nothing at all backing the dollar uh, or any of these currencies, when you have basically the world taking your currency, in effect, kind of legal tender laws that I am going to go over here, I think within a very short period of time in the essay, I'm going to do some legal tender law cases in the United States so people can understand how outrageous it is and what happens with it. But when you have that ability to force people to take garbage in exchange for their own services and products, uh, you have basically the ability to print money and to completely and totally screw those people over. And that's why the United States has this fantastic standard of living compared to so many other places. It's not because the people are so fantastically productive and brilliant and freedom and the Constitution, all these reasons people are giving. None of those are true. You can just look around and see the place is full of a bunch of mutant scooter people. And so obviously it can't be the quality of the people. Go into any place that I've ever worked or any place I've ever gone and taken depositions in or investigated in any way. The places run like shit and most of the people all need to be fired because they're completely useless. That's just the vast majority of the people. So the idea that it's our fantastic work ethic and all these other things they put up, these are all fantasies to cover up what's really going on, which is there's a group of criminals who run this banking system and it all runs out of the United States dollar and then out of the Bank of International Settlements. And they use our military to enforce it on the world. They use our military to enforce it on the world. And I think this chapter does a pretty good job of at least giving an insight or a platform to talk about that. So let's go ahead and get back into it. I'm going to read the paragraph or sentence in Spooner-esque. Of course, usually a paragraph is one sentence. (laughs) I'm going to read the one right before that we finished up last time, and then we'll get going. The holders of this monopoly, which is banking money monopoly on the type of money that can be used, the holders of this monopoly now rule and rob this nation, and the government in all its branches is simply their tool. And being their tool for this gigantic robbery, It is equally their tool for all the lesser robberies to which it is supposed that the people at large can be made to submit. 
And that's just the reality of this fake money system when you have this legal tender system. And, of course, he was writing right after the legal tender cases, which was in the 1870s. And he was writing very, very close to that time. So he was seeing these legal tender cases go through and what a scam it all was. And people understood that when you are no longer going to use gold and silver, it's over. See, it's completely over. And that's what these greenbacks and those legal tender cases were all about. So it was very, very clear to him. Let's continue now. Section 15. But although the monopoly of money is one of the most glaring violations of men's natural right to make their own contracts and one of the most effective, perhaps the most effective, for enabling a few men to rob everybody else and for keeping the great body of the people in poverty and servitude, it is not the only one that government practices, nor the only one that has the same robbery in view. <laughs> I love the way he looks at government. It is just a criminal operation. It's so funny people can't see it. The so-called taxes or duties which the government levies upon imports are a practical violation of both of men's natural right of property and of their natural right to make their own contracts. A man has the same natural right to traffic with another who lives on the opposite side of the globe as he has to traffic with his next door neighbor. And any obstruction, price, or penalty interposed by the government to the exercise of that right is a practical violation of the right itself. Yes, it is. There's no doubt about it. If the government wants to intercede and say, well, you can't buy drugs because they're illegal. Okay, well, that's, they don't have any authority to do that. It doesn't make any sense. If people want to voluntarily do it, they do it. Oh, it's so dangerous. Lots of things are dangerous. The government doesn't have any authority to uh, regulate them. And see, people, they don't understand whether or not something might be a good idea in their mind to do and whether the government has any authority to do it are two different things. And whether or not something is a good idea to do or whether or not something is a right for you to do is, an, again, a very different concept. But people don't understand it because they're specifically not taught anything about natural law. That's why I did that whole natural law essay of Spooner's. Let's continue. The 10, 20, or 50% of a man's property, which is taken from him for the reason that he purchased it in a foreign country, must be considered either as the price as he is required to pay for the privilege of buying property in that country, or else as a penalty for having exercised his natural right of buying it in that country. Whether it be considered as a price paid for a privilege or a penalty for having exercised a natural right, it is a violation of both his natural right of property and of his natural right to make a contract in that country. In short, it is nothing but downright robbery. <laughs> There's no way to get around it. Do you have a right to buy it? Yeah, of course you have a right to buy whatever you want. Or if you want to call it a privilege, okay, well, it's a privilege. Deem it as such, they're charging you. <laughs> the government has stepped in to interpose itself there and charge you. And when a man seeks to avoid this robbery by evading the government robbers who are lying in wait for him, that is, the so-called revenue officers, whom he has a perfect right to evade, as he has to evade any other robbers who may be lying in wait for him, the seizure of his whole property, instead of the 10, 20, or 50 percent that would otherwise have been taken from him, is not merely adding so much to the robbery itself, but is adding insult to the robbery. It is punishing a man as a criminal for simply trying to save his property from robbers. <laughs> God, I love the way he talks about the government and the government agents and all this other crap. They are just robbers. 
There's no difference between them robbing you on the road and these government, except they have the insult. They run around and act like they did it for your benefit. And there's a great Spooner quote about that. See, he's talking about having 10 or 20 or 50 percent of your property taken. What he means is that when they impose a tax of 10 or 20 or 50 percent on an item, in effect, it takes 10, 20, 50 percent of your money away from you because otherwise you'd be able to buy 10, 20 or 50 percent more of the property. That's just simple logic. And so they can just take 20% of your money and then allow you to do the transaction at the original price. Or they can add a 20% tax to it, and then you will get 20% less. There's no difference between those two. It's like one of the few rules I learned and remember from math because I was given such a horrible math education and public schooling. And that is that whatever you do to one side of the equation, you can do to the other side of the equation. Okay, so if you do it to one side, you do it to the other, then it doesn't change the equation. And so Spooner uses that piece of logic all the time. Then, of course, I studied a decent amount of logic, but I think my logic is better than my higher math, (laughs) even though there's a lot of similar rules there. But that's what he means by that. So let's continue. But it will be said that these taxes or duties are laid to raise revenue for the support of the government. Oh, we've got to have money for it. I hear this crap all the time. We've got to raise money somehow. How do you want to raise it? Uh, I want to raise it voluntarily. Otherwise, it's robbery and you have what you get. That's why the Articles of Confederation worked to keep the federal government limited. It had no authority to tax. It had to just request money. And the states had the authority to lay a tax. And then if they cared to, give it to the federal government. You have to have that kind of thing in between the entity that's seeking to recover the money and the entities that are raising the money. If you don't get some kind of voluntary action, there's no check on it. And anybody can look around and see what's happened to our so-called country under this so-called government. It can actually force you to give them money to then go to war and kill people, which it can then force you into and force you to go fight. (laughs) People still tell me they're free. Support of the government crap is so dumb. (laughs) Be it so for the sake of the argument. So let's assume for the sake of your argument, it is for that. All taxes levied upon a man's property for the support of government without his consent are mere robbery a violation of his natural right of property. And when a government takes 10, 20, or 50% of a man's property for the reason that he bought it in a foreign country, such taking is as much a violation of his natural right of property or of his natural right to purchase property as is the taking of property which he has himself produced or which he has bought in his own village. (laughs) There's no way around it. If they take your money... They've taken both your time to make the money, they've taken your product, and it doesn't matter what you plan to spend that money on. If they simply jack the price of something you want to spend your money on, then it's the same thing as taking your money. There's just no difference between those things. A man's natural right of property and a commodity he has bought in a foreign country is intrinsically as sacred and inviolable as it is in a commodity produced at home. The foreign commodity is bought with the commodity produced at home and therefore stands on the same footing as the commodity produced at home. And it is a plain violation of one's right for a government to make any distinction between them. See, what he means there is that, look, in order to have money, something of value, which, of course, now it's been eliminated. If you have something of value to give to someone else of value in trade for their product, well, you are, in effect, selling something that you produced here at home, which is the value of your work, labor and services. That's why I went over that last one. Government assumes to exist for the impartial protection of all rights of property. That's what we're told. Oh, we're protecting us. 
If it really exists for that purpose, it is plainly bound to make each kind of property pay its proper proportion and only its proper proportion of the cost of protecting all kinds. To levy upon a few kinds the cost of protecting all is a naked robbery of the holders of those few kinds for the benefit of the holders of all kinds. <laughs> There's no way around it. Oh, we tax this at this rate and that at that rate, and this has got an exemption, that's got an inclusion, you get a deduction for this, you can get a cash back, you get a tax credit for this. All these things are just ways of robbing other people to the benefit of the people that get it from government. That's all it is. And people can't see that. So if they have to raise taxes, they have to raise revenue, Okay, well, it has to be consensual. If it's not consensual, then you're just in the business of operating organized crime. And that's what people don't understand. They just simply accept government because you say the word government, they imagine that what all these governments do is fine and legal because it's, quote, legal because the government runs the entire legal system. It's so much deep brainwashing. Let's continue. But that pretense that heavy taxes are levied upon imports solely or mainly for the support of government, while light taxes or no taxes at all are levied upon property at home, is an utterly false pretense. They are levied upon the imported commodity mainly, if not solely, for the purpose of enabling the producers of competing home commodities to extort from consumers a higher price than the home commodities would bring in free and open markets. And this additional price is sheer robbery and is known to be so. <laughs> uh, it's just, there's no way around it. If you force people to pay higher prices of these goods and services that come in from overseas, all you're actually trying to do is to benefit the people who operate these businesses at home to make sure that they can make more money. And this idea that protecting our markets, and all, that's all fantasy. And he goes into that. And the amount of this robbery, which goes into the pockets of the home producers, is 5, 10, 20, or 50 times greater than the amount that goes into the Treasury for the support of the government, according as the amount of the home commodities is 5, 10, 20, 50 times greater than the amount of the imported competing commodities. Yeah, because the reality is all of their costs are already covered. See, they've already covered all their costs with the original pricing. And then you're just giving them a price that's 50% higher. That's not the same thing as, as having the regular price be 50% more. It's all profit to them. See, it's all profit because they don't have to do anything to get that additional amount on their product here at home. I don't know if people understand that. But the original price, like at a restaurant, you, you take the price of the food and you multiply it times three, and that's what you charge the people. Well, it's not all profit. Just like when you buy something at a supermarket. They run on notoriously slim margins, like 1% or 2%. So the vast majority of the cost is in labor and the, the building and the cost of the wholesale item and the stocking and the slippage and all the other things. But if you increase the price by 50% and they didn't have to do anything, they, their profit wouldn't go up by 50% because they're only making 2%. If they're getting to charge 50% more, their profit would go up by 50% when they're only getting 2%. So... You'd be getting 25 times more profit off the item. You see that? Okay. Thus, the amounts that go to support the government and also the amounts that go into the pockets of the home producers in the higher prices they get for their goods are all sheer robberies and nothing else. 
But it will be said that the heavy taxes are levied upon the foreign commodity, not to put great wealth into few pockets, but to protect the home laborer against the competition of the pauper labor of other countries. We get this all the time. Oh, we're protecting against slave labor. We have to slap this thing on there. Have to. Oh, Chinese slave labor. All this shit they do all the time. So funny to me. It's just a fake argument. And that's the one we're going to get into here today that he gets into in this essay. It's really good. This is the great argument that is relied on to justify the robbery. This argument must have originated with the employers of home labor and not with the home laborers themselves. <laughs> As usual, if the excuse we're given, the explanation we're given from government is a total lie. This is not to protect laborers. That's utterly ridiculous. The home laborers themselves could never have originated it because they must have seen that, so far as they were concerned, the object of the protection, so-called, was at best only to benefit them by robbing others who were as poor as themselves and who had as good a right as themselves to live by their labor. That that is, they must have seen that the object of the protection was to rob the foreign laborers in whole or in part of the pittances on which they were already necessitated to live and secondly, to rob consumers at home and the increased prices of the protected commodities when many or most of these home consumers were also laborers as poor as themselves. Now, he's going to explain how this is probably not true, and, or at least assume how it's probably not true, but he's basically describing a rational human being with any kind of sympathy for other people suffering, that, look, if I'm suffering, how is it really fair and just for me to screw other people over and affect to steal shit from them in order so that I can get better. Now, of course, we know the people who operate things, that's all they think about. But you see it all the time where these fairly poor people, they turn over all sorts of stuff to charity and are a lot more giving than people with tons of money. The percentages people give who are poor is so much higher than the percentages rich people give. Now, the numbers are bigger from rich people. They're nothing. They're like me giving one cent. And then they run around and take credit for it. And that's kind of the argument he's making here that, look, if these were rational human beings who understood, they would say, no, I don't want to benefit by screwing over people who are living worse than me in third world countries. I don't want to do that. I don't feel right about that. That's kind of the argument he's making here. All right, let's continue. Even if any class of laborers would have been so selfish and dishonest as to wish to thus benefit themselves by injuring others as poor as themselves, they could have had no hope of carrying through such a scheme if they alone were to profit by it, because they could have had no such influence with governments as it would be necessary to enable them to carry through in opposition to the rights and interests of consumers, both rich and poor, and much more numerous than themselves. For these reasons, it is plain that the argument originated with the employers of home labor and not with the home laborers themselves. <laughs> I mean, obviously, that demolishes the entire protection thing. We all know what government's about, but even if, in fact, they were trying to do it to protect themselves, they don't have the ability to control the government in any form or fashion. It's totally hopeless. <laughs> All right, let's continue. And why do the employers of home labor advocate this robbery? For these reasons, it is plain that the argument originated with the employers of home labor and not with the home laborers themselves. So he's immediately assuming that the home labor employers are just pieces of shit, which we know the vast majority are, who run to government to try to get these tariffs so they can make money. This is the purpose of government, to run a criminal operation. And why do the employers of home labor advocate this robbery? 
certainly not because they have such an intense compassion for their own laborers that they're willing to rob everybody else, rich and poor, for their benefit. Nobody will suspect them of being influenced by any such compassion as that. But they advocate it solely because they put it into their own pockets, a very large portion, certainly, probably three-fourths, I should judge, of the increased prices their commodities are thus made to bring in the market. The home laborers themselves probably get not more than one-fourth of these increased prices. And lots of times they don't even get that because they're emergency this and that. And, of course, the employers always poor mouth themselves all the time. I've seen it endlessly in lawsuits. Just lies in order so they can live like kings. That's all. That's all it is. Thus, the argument for protection is really an argument for robbing foreign laborers as poor as our own of their equal and rightful chances in our markets, and also for robbing all the home consumers of the protected article, the poor as well as the rich, and the prices they are made to pay for. And all of this is done at the instigation and principally for the benefit of the employers of the home labor and not for the benefit of the home laborers themselves. This is the fundamental explanation of the sort of, this stuff is all about big business. This is why they pay lobbyists so much money to go in and do it, because they make this money. Of course, the system is so insane at this point, so out of control, Spooner would probably not even believe how crazy it's gotten because what he was dealing with was just a nothing deal compared to the insanity of seven, eight trillion dollar budgets now that they're proposing. Just this absurd amounts of spending and hundreds of trillions of dollars in unfunded liability promises that will never be paid. A dollar that literally has no value. It just the insanity we live in is mind bending. Let's continue. Having now seen that this argument of protecting our home laborers against the competition of the slave labor of other countries is of itself an utterly dishonest argument, that it is dishonest towards foreign laborers and home consumers, that it must have originated with the employers of home labor and not with the home laborers themselves, and that the employers of home labor and not the home laborers themselves are to receive the principal profits of the robbery. Let us now see how utterly false is the argument itself. Now he's going to take the thing apart now that he's laid the proper one out and swept aside the nonsense that you see in the newspapers and that they argue about in uh, TV news and on talk radio and con-con radio and crap like that. They argue about that false narrative he just blew apart. That's what they argue about. And it works because the people are so miseducated and improperly informed and intentionally uninformed and misinformed by the entire system and have been for so many generations, they're utterly hopeless and helpless in trying to sort out any kinds of truths. So here's his argument. Number one, the pauper laborers, if there are any such, of other countries have just as good a right to live by their labor and have an equal chance in our own markets as in all the markets of the world, as have the pauper laborers or any other laborers of our own country. How do you argue with that? See, what ends up happening with this complication we have now, since the system is so far off and the conservatives pretend like we have this capitalist system that the constitutional conservatives argue for, but it's so distorted that now when people talk about things like, well, we shouldn't let people in the country, shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. They can't untangle all the stuff that's not going to be untangled. Sure, a lot of those arguments make perfect sense. If you, in fact, had truly free markets, then that's the problem. These libertarians, a lot of times, their arguments make no sense because you don't get to the heart of the issues. And unless you can dismantle the entire thing, 
all of these changes, all they end up doing is really hurting another party. And so untangling the mess at this point is really, really tough to say. It's a Gordian knot, I think, is probably an understatement. That's why I advocate the jury nullification, because we have to start somewhere where you can actually protect yourself against each and every one of the laws if the people didn't care to participate with them every single time. And then you could really start shutting it down and buying time to educate people and decentralize. Because if you can't do that, we don't have a chance. Because you're never going to win with the arguments that are being made in anything out in public, ever. That will never happen. They will not help at all. Let's continue. Every human being has the same natural right to buy and sell of and to any and all other people in the world as he has to buy and sell of and to the people of his own country. And none but tyrants and robbers deny that right. And they deny it for their own benefit solely and not for the benefit of their laborers. And of course, this is the point now where when people have to use these dollars all over the world, and if you don't use them, we just fly drones over and kill you. And or that we've been operating on this Bretton Woods Agreement crap with the petrodollar and all this other shit since like 1945 or 46 or whenever the agreement was, which basically turned the U.S. dollar into a world reserve currency. When you have that and you're the person who gets to operate like we are, you just wield this incredible power. And I've talked about it many, many times that the people in these poorer countries, they're fantastically poor, not so much because they're so inefficient and everything else. They're poor because the people in the United States and the people who get the benefit of the United States government and the dollar, they're robbing them at this massive scale of trillions and trillions of dollars of value per year of their labor by forcing them to take this fake U.S. dollar at these inflated prices and by crushing their own currency down. In effect, it makes their own labor and stuff worth nothing. That's why it makes sense to go into places and people imagine, well, the dollar's strong there. Um, The dollar is a piece of shit. It's junk. It's as much junk as their currency. The only reason the dollar has strength is all those things I've just explained, because the people are forced to take it. And that's why this foreign currency and a foreign currency exchange rate and all this other shit, there'd be none of that if people were dealing in products that actually had value, like gold and silver. It doesn't matter where the gold came from. It doesn't matter who gave it to you. It doesn't matter what you're trading it for. It has the same value. It doesn't hurt the laborer to take it. If somebody's providing a tremendous value and they're in a different country and they're getting paid in gold and silver, it's not going to show up as this giant difference. That's why people do medical tourism to places like Colombia and Mexico and dental tourism because the dollar is so strong there that somebody who's a very skilled physician but living in Colombia, they don't make any money in American dollars. But they live well for a Colombian, but they don't get paid the same. And there's other reasons. They don't have the entire insurance scam running down there like they do here. So the prices aren't so inflated. It's a lot more of a free market. But the main basis is that the dollar is so strong. Is that because Colombia sucks? Yeah, well, Colombia does have a lot of problems, but it's actually a pretty place. And I'm not so sure about the people being fantastic, but the people here, my God, come on, they're mutant scooter people here. But it has fantastic products and an amazing amount of stuff that people want. The problem is it's basically just a gigantic plantation run at the very, very highest levels through this government protection racket. And so that's the way the things actually work. But because nobody's ever has that explained to them, they argue about it in these absurd terms like you see from the State Department and the Department of Commerce and look at all these different numbers. All that shit was invented in order to cover up 
the scam of the money system in order to pretend that it's this complex system of economics and this and that, and you got to add this and be careful of that and check this. And the market runs fine if there's not interference. The interference comes in this banking system with the fake money. That's when you start getting all these massive distortions. And then when you get these giant governments that are attempting to try to rob people, both inside their own borders and outside what we do, we rob the entire world with our money system. When you do that, well, it's a very valuable thing to protect. That's why we have this gigantic military. It's not to protect us from terror. That's utter nonsense. Hi, it's Legal Man. I hope you're enjoying the show. If you appreciate the unique insight and information I provide, then go over to my Patreon account for The Quash and become a member. I have bonus shows and material, early access, and it's a good place to meet like-minded people. I have people ask me all the time, what can we do, legal man? (laughs) Well, start by voting with your pocketbook. It's the only vote that really counts. Support things that tell people the truth. Getting people to understand the truth is the only solution we have to this insanity. Look, I get it. There are a lot of people who can't afford to support my show with money. But there are a lot of people who can. And if you can and you like the show, you should support it. That's what free markets look like. The people running this scam, they have unlimited funding. I don't have support of that system. In fact, I get harassed because I tell people the truth that they don't want the people to know. So we have to stick together. So go sign up. Now let's get back to the show what we do. We rob the entire world with our money system. When you do that, well, it's a very valuable thing to protect. That's why we have this gigantic military. It's not to protect us from terror. That's utter nonsense. (laughs) It's to protect the goose that lays the golden egg. We are the enforcer for the Bank of International Settlements money system. That's the reality. And that's why I'm not sure what Putin's role is, because They're making noise, and clearly they want to drive everybody in these central bank digital currencies, and maybe they want to create some chaos and problems in between to force the United States into it for a problem-reaction-solution. But that's where they're all going, and since none of them ever are arresting central bankers in their country and pulling themselves out of the Bank of International Settlement and talking about that, I can know they're not really on our side. The exact game that's being played, I don't know, but I can know that. Because unless someone's talking about that, you can know 100% they're not on your side. And since no constitutional conservatives in media ever discuss it, you can know 100% that they're not on your side. Because it's the central, most important thing once you understand the way the legal system works. Because the legal system is the enforcement system inside the country, and the military system and the scam of national security is the enforcement in the rest of the world. So since the people are kept completely and totally in the dark about that and given these boogeyman about China threatening this and that, these places don't threaten us in any form or fashion, if you're realistic. They only threaten us because they threaten to expose the fraud. That's why we are so vulnerable, because we're massively in debt and we use fake money. See, that's the only reason we're vulnerable. If we were on a hard money system and always had been, then we wouldn't be in any threat. (laughs) It wouldn't be a threat because you never could have run up this kind of fake debt. Because the amount of money doesn't exist. There's not hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of trillions of dollars to incur all this uh, unfunded liability, all these different liabilities and debts that we have. Tens of trillions of debts. There's nobody has tens of trillions of dollars. They can just lend them. It's all fake. It's all a fake scam. And so all these problems are self-created in order to make sure that this fake money system and the people who benefit from it continue to buy up the entire world and control it.
And that's what people just don't get. See, they just don't get that because they're not taught. And all these people who waste everybody's time in constitutional conservatism, draining off all the people we need, that's why I consider them to be our enemies and of the highest order. All those people in media are wasting the time that we need and all the people and the minds we could reach. And that's why they're such bad actors. And they're getting paid tens of millions of dollars. I don't know why it's so hard to figure out, right? Somebody's getting paid tens of millions of dollars inside the system. Um, they're not giving you anything that's going to take the system down or fix it. They're there to promote the system. That's what they're there to do. It's slick and people can't figure it out, but um, it's pretty damn obvious at this point. All right, let's read a little bit more. I'll never get through the entire section today, but I think it's important because I think a lot of people don't understand what this section is trying to get at. And if a man in our country, either from motives of profit to himself or from motives of pity towards the pauper laborers of other country, chooses to buy the products of the foreign pauper labor rather than the products of the laborers of his own country, he has a perfect legal right to do so. And for any government to forbid him to do so, or to obstruct him doing so, or to punish him for doing so, is a violation of his natural right of purchasing property of whom he pleases and from such motives as he pleases. Right. You want to slap a Made in America sticker on there, and I want to say, hey, you know what? I don't want to buy Made in America. I know the way that industry works. I want to buy from outside the country. That's my right. That's my right. It's the same concept between putting this made in America thing on there. I support Americans, America for Americans. These, the people who support that stuff are so blind to what they're actually supporting. That's why I don't like that stuff because it's so dumb. It's like asking me to participate in a con job by a bunch of dupes. It's like asking me to give money to some political candidate. It's uh, moronic. It's an insult. You don't understand that they're laughing at you, the people that run those scams. <laughs> Number two. To forbid our own people to buy in the best markets is equivalent to forbidding them to sell the products of their own labor in the best markets, where they can buy the products of foreign labor only by giving the products of their own labor in exchange. Therefore, to deny our right to buy in foreign markets is to forbid us to sell in foreign markets. And this is a plain violation of men's natural rights. Okay, so there's another example of the of the kind of you can do whatever you want to one side of the equation if you do it to the other side of the equation. The only way to purchase something in another country is with your own, in effect, value. When you purchase something from another country, what you're doing is you're selling the value you have to the people who are selling what they have. That's it. It's the exchange of two sales, in effect, right? Just like it's two purchases. They're buying your money. You're buying their goods. You're selling your money. They're selling their goods. That's it. That's it. So if the market was truly free, we went there with this garbage called U.S. dollars. They were shit. They don't back by anything. They say, no, nah, I don't think so. We'll take gold. We'll take gold. Well, you can't do it. And that's the way we make money with this scam, in effect, by having the price of oil set in dollars, which I think is going to ultimately change here. Like I said, with that Russia-China thing and all sorts of other stuff, you have to eventually buy dollars. So you have to eventually buy dollars. At some point, the transactions, you can do it all different ways, but eventually it has to circulate through dollars, and that's the big giant scam. By keeping that price up and forcing people to use it, it's a gigantic, massive robbery scam. Now, it's only one of them going on, but it is a very big one. Let's continue. If, when a producer of cotton, tobacco, grain, beef, pork, butter, cheese, or any other commodity in our country has carried it abroad and exchanged it for iron or woolen goods and has brought these latter home, the government seizes one half of them because they were manufactured abroad. 
the robbery committed upon the owner is the same as if the government has seized one half of his cotton, tobacco, or other commodity before he exported it, because the iron or woolen goods which he purchased abroad with the products of his own home labor are as much his own property as was the commodity with which he purchased them. Now, he's given the example there that's a little different than what you'd probably have today, because not very many people are importer-exporters, where they literally export a product and use that product to purchase something else. Most of the transactions are a little bit different. Very few people have that experience. But in the past, when you would basically put your stuff on a ship, and that's what you kind of arrange, you'd go to a place, you'd go to that place, and you'd buy the stuff that they had that was valuable, and you'd, in effect, trade the stuff out. And that's how it worked. But then you would trade it out with the product you brought over there. When you bring it back, in effect, the price would be 50% higher because you would get taxed on your product. See, so it doesn't work. So it doesn't matter where the transaction takes place. And that's the important part. You have to understand. You have to strip all that stuff away. And I think people have a difficult time doing that. So all right, I want to try to finish up at least this concept so that we can stop in a place that makes some sense. Okay. Therefore, the tax laid upon foreign commodities that have been bought with the products of our home labor is as much a robbery of the home laborer as the same tax would have been if laid directly upon the products of our home labor. It is, at best, only a robbery of one home laborer, the producer of cotton, tobacco, grain, beef, pork, butter, or cheese, for the benefit of another home laborer, the producer of iron or woolen goods. There's no way around that. See, there's no way around that. If I have a cow... And I want to sell it, and I have the ability to take it overseas and buy 100 pounds of woolen goods with that cow. That's what they'll trade it for, in effect. doesn't matter how the transaction gets done. And then I bring it back, and then the government charges me another 50% in order to bring it back in. Well, that just means I can only actually buy 50 pounds of the stuff when I go to that country. So... There's no difference between doing that and taking half of my cow once the product gets brought in. There's no difference. Again, right back to that same concept of whatever you do to one side, you do to the other. It doesn't matter when and how the, the tax takes place. It doesn't matter if you increase the price of their product by 50% or you don't increase the price of their product by 50%, but you take the 50% increase directly from me and then let me go with 50% less to buy their product that hasn't been increased in value. You see how that works? That's a very fundamental concept that you need to understand. It's a very fundamental concept you have to understand. And now he has number three. But this whole argument is a false one. For the further reason that our home laborers do not have to compete with the pauper labor of any country on earth. Since the actual paupers of no country on earth are engaged in producing commodities for export to any other country. They produce few or no other commodities than those they themselves consume. Ordinarily, not even those. In other words, he's going to show you that it's not actually a pauper labor. Because the person who's a truly a pauper is not actually producing excess. He's going to show you that what it really is is an abused laborer. An abused laborer, which is the entire point of the system, is to keep people having to work at these slave labor wages. And to show you that those people are not actually the paupers, they're actually just very poorly paid laborers kept that way through this false system. There are a great many millions of actual paupers in the world. In some of the large provinces of British India, for example, it is said that nearly half the population are paupers. But I think that the commodities they are producing for export to other countries, other than their own, have never been heard of. <laughs> right. 
You don't get anything from someone who's sitting on the streets begging. There's nothing being produced. You get products from people who work in factories with very low paying jobs. Those are not paupers. That is the slave labor that is run by this government banking scam system that is kept in place so that the people who benefit from it, who own these businesses, can keep slave labor. That's the purpose. That's the way it works. You're not actually competing with the true paupers. The term pauper labor is therefore a false one. And when these robbers, the employers of home labor, talk of protecting their laborers against the competition of the pauper labor of other countries, they do not mean that they are protecting them against the competition of actual paupers, but only against the competition of that immense body of laborers in all parts of the world who are kept constantly on the verge of pauperism or starvation, who have little or no means of subsistence except such as their employers see fit to give them, which means are usually barely enough to keep them in the condition to labor. How many people are living paycheck to paycheck? How do we hear that all the time, right? In this country, well, we're paupers too, right on the verge, exactly what he described, see? They pay them just enough, just enough. They've run this entire system now all over the world. The people are not getting the benefit of their labors. This is why guys like Karl Marx were so popular in the 19th century, because the shit isn't completely wrong. See, it's not completely wrong. It's just put inside this false narrative, but it's not completely wrong. Tons of his concepts are correct, that the big battle is between labor and banking and capital and all this other shit, but the problem is his solution ultimately is to scam people. <laughs> That's his solution. But he's actually right there. As you can see, the people in this country live like shit. The vast majority of them only live well because of the dollar. If you took all the exact same thing going on in the United States and you moved them to a country that wasn't operating on the dollar, you'd be completely screwed. It looked just as fucked up and as third worldish. See, that's what people can't see. That's what they can't see. Let's finish this section. I'm done for the day. These are the only pauper laborers from whose competition our own laborers are sought to be protected. They are quite as badly off as our own laborers and are in equal need of protection. Uh, not maybe quite as bad off. Obviously, the people in our country live way better than those people do because of the system that exists now. What then is to be done? This policy of excluding foreign commodities from our markets is a game that all other governments can play at, as well as our own. And if it is the duty of our government to protect our laborers against the competition of the pauper laborers, so-called, of all other countries, it is equally the duty of every other government to protect its laborers against the competition of the so-called pauper labor of all other countries, so that... According to this theory, each nation must either shut out entirely from its market the products of all other countries or at least lay such heavy duties upon them as will, in some measure, protect its own laborers from the competition of the pauper laborers of all other countries. This theory, then, is that instead of permitting all mankind to supply each other's wants by freely exchanging their respective products with each other, the government of each nation should rob the people of every nation by imposing heavy duties upon all the commodities imported from them. The natural effect of this scheme is to pit the so-called pauper labor of each country against the so-called pauper labor of every other country, and all for the benefit of their employers. And as it holds that so-called pauper labor is cheaper than free labor, it gives the employers in each country a constant motive for reducing their own laborers to the lowest condition of poverty, consistent with the ability to labor at all. 
In other words, the theory is that the smaller the portion of the products of labor that is given to the laborers, the larger will be the portion that will go into the pockets of the employers. Simply no way to argue that. There's no way to argue that. This is what the reasonable conclusion would be to all that. That In effect, the governments have to rob all these people in their country all the time in order to make sure that they're protected against the other people in the other countries while the other governments are doing the same thing and all the money's going to the pockets of the government and into the pockets of the big business. <laughs> and of course, when they do all that, what they end up doing is making all the people at war with each other, divide and conquer. Always the same, see? Always the same. This is the ultimate rationale that would explain what's going on. And they just make money off it. Now, the section continues on. I'm not going to continue it because it's already a long show. But I think it's important to stop and to really think about those because they're important. And maybe listen to a little bit of what they're talking about when it comes to Russia and China and the threat and Brazil and all this shit that's going on. And listen to how unbelievably dishonest and disingenuous all the discussion is from all the constitutional conservatives and the analysis and all the other shit they do. You'll see how they absolutely do not explain anything that's true. And they just deceive people. And all the answers to get the liberals out and all this other shit. It's so dumb. It's all so dumb. It's crazy, all the stuff that's not explained to people. And, you know, the fact that people have to relearn it and understand it later after having wasted 12 years in mandatory indoctrination camps. It could have been taught all this stuff if the purpose of any of that shit was to actually help people. But it's not. The purpose of government is not to help people. It's not. It's a criminal organization to help the criminal organization and the people who control it. That's all it is. That's it. People don't want to accept that. That's all. They don't want to accept it. I'm not saying you can get rid of it because of the nature of the world now, but if people understand the truth about it, each government wouldn't be able to pull off the nonsense. And certainly the people in our country would understand and we could massively decentralize and protect ourselves against a huge amount of the abuse this government lays on us. So, all right, so that's it there. Um, show did run long, but I hope people enjoyed it. We'll pick it up again. And like I said, soon I'll do the legal tender law cases. Anyone who wants to follow me can. I'm legal man at U.S. Crime Review. I love laughing at the absurdity that's passed off on people. I want to thank the people in Patreon who have a lot of integrity and support my show. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. I know that you do it out of a, an understanding that what I've done is very valuable to you and saved you a lot of time and money and told you things you're never, ever going to hear anywhere else, no matter what you go and search and find. It's just not going to happen. And so thank you. I appreciate it. And as far as the movie, Jones Plantation, talk to Andrew. It's definitely coming out in April. We're really, really close. It's an allegory story by Larkin Rose. Everybody knows Larkin. The Freedom Movement. I play Mr. Jones. I'm a piece of crap plantation owner. And the story is a great allegory of going from chattel slavery to debt slavery. And we make fun of all the stupid crap that you see with the flag and the country and the fake money and the voting and all the stupid shit that goes on in this world. And hopefully people will get it and really enjoy it. It got very good reception there at Anarchapoco when it was played. So hopefully when it comes out, people like it. And I hope it makes a lot of money. If it makes a lot of money, then the people who financed it will make more movies. And I think movies are a great way to reach people. And it was a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> so I hope, hope people like Mr. Jones the way I played him. And beyond that, I think there's nothing else to say. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. You guys have been a great audience as usual. Everybody have a nice night or day wherever you are. Take care. Thank you, everybody.